Welcome to the 24 Stories podcast that aims to educate, inspire, and help build brands. I'm your host, Stephen Ryan, founder of 24 Stories, and I'll be joined each week by guests from a variety of industries here to tell you how they built their brands. Welcome to episode 14 of the 24 Stories podcast. This week, we're going to look at the world of non-profit. I'm delighted to be joined by Graham Clifford of Sanctuary Runners. Welcome to the podcast, Graham. Well, thanks for having me, Stephen. Appreciate it. Um, Graham, before we get into the whole world of uh, what you've done with Sanctuary Runners and building that foundation and, and I suppose, the future of it, um, you have an interesting background. You weren't always into non-profits. It started in the world of journalism, would I be right? Yeah, I, I worked for the best part of two decades as a a writer and broadcaster. Started off, uh, I'm from Glenbay in County Kerry. Lovely part uh, of the world. It yeah. is, it sure is. Um, so I started off with Radio Kerry and I worked there, went to Australia as, as a broadcast journalist, went to Australia, worked as a journalist in Western Australia, then back to the UK and ended up working on radio with uh, BBC regional BBC radio and yeah. then did some television and then started writing and then through the Irish Post the Irish Independent Irish Times Business Post and also worked for the Drive Time programme on RT Radio 1 so yeah kind of a mad mix and going back to those early days with Radio Kerry did, did you have to study to get into Radio Kerry like did you do a journalism course or did yeah. you just happen to I'm get really, into it I'm really glad you asked me that I have this 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 thing in my head that a good journalist I think doesn't necessarily need to do a journalism course. Interesting. Yeah. I think you're much better off having a wide and varied knowledge of lots of things. Yeah. And um, I found I didn't really know I wanted to be a journalist, I suppose. I did a, a, a BA degree in uh, NUIG in history, sociology and politics. Mm-hmm. And I still didn't know what I wanted to do. Yeah. So then I, I did a, an MA in Limerick in UL in European Integration which was like European Union law and history and politics yeah, and all that. Yeah. Still didn't know what I wanted to do. And then I got a phone call from Radio Kerry because there was a general election coming up and they said, would you come in and give us a hand? And because I, of your political kind yeah, of uh, yeah. side in the degree? Y- yes. And I uh, and I, I don't know how they were. I can't remember how exactly we made the connection. Mm. But the news editor at the time just thought, listen, you could help us out here with your knowledge of, of different things. And then somebody left the newsroom and they were stuck and then I ended up, you know, working in news and, and so on. But but undoubtedly that wider experience yeah. and, and stuff yeah. was, was you know, really, st- I think, stood to me. Um, and I, I always have this thing in my head that, Jamie, journalism degrees, they're great um, and they're important. But I think a good journalist needs to have a broad, much broader um, kind of knowledge yeah. base. And is that why you went to Australia? No, love took me was to it? Australia. Yeah, I didn't really want to go to Australia okay. at all. But uh, I used somebody to... was fleeing to that direction, and you followed them, or stalked them. Yes, okay. and uh, decided I'd follow my, yeah. my now wife. Okay, so it worked. It out, worked Steve, out. And yeah. It was a good. Yeah. <laughs> but that was gas because I was working on. Um, I was doing lots of different jobs, but one of the jobs was working on uh, an independent radio station in Perth, in Western Australia. Yeah, and um, as part of that. Um, doing features on Aboriginal social exclusion, um, healthcare with Aboriginal peoples and so on, because it really wasn't and, and maybe still to a degree isn't kind of something that mainstream media do in yeah, uh, Australia. Yeah. Uh, so that was mad, sitting around Boab trees for hours, kind of not, not making eye contact with people, but yeah. learning as you went. Yeah. 
And and did they accept you in? Like totally, yeah, yeah, totally. Very peaceful Not, people, and uh, and you, you know you come away learning so much more than you know than than you when you sat down. You think you know it all, and then you stand up a few hours later and you realise you've learned so much. Yeah. So when you came back from Australia, then you went to UK. Yeah, my now wife is she's English, so she uh, was working there. She had a job lined up, so went to the UK and um, started writing for the Irish Post, and then got into radio uh, with uh, BBC Oxfordshire and BBC Berkshire, presenting a program there. Uh, there's great opportunities over there if you want to try different things, yeah, especially with public services. Suppose the BBC is such a big yeah. organisation, so. What happened after? So you went into the <laughs> BBC, went into radio. How did you end up back into, I suppose, written journals? You went into... Yeah, I, well, um, I started writing for the Irish, the Irish Independent for a while. Tried this thing in the UK where every Thursday they had a, a page dedicated to life in the UK. Yeah. So they asked me if I'd do that. Um, and I did and it was grand. But then I started uh, getting... You know, there was some features that I thought, Jeannie, I'd love to get my teeth into a yeah. few things. Yeah. So I asked the features editor at the time, a wonderful guy called Peter Carvasso, if uh, I could do that. And he said, yeah, go for it. And it just kind of spiraled from there so I was writing features in the UK in Africa in Europe I'd come home and do stuff and then um, a job came up for my wife in Cork in 2012 in Formoy and uh, I moved back then and and that's it since yeah and who did you work for when you came here? Irish Independence. Um, um, and then I went kind of freelance with the Irish Times Radio One and the Business Post, yeah, as well, yeah. And like, as a freelance journalist, like, is it difficult in terms of from week to week not really knowing what gig you have next? I'm sure there's plenty of them out there, but yeah, I had built up. I suppose I my problem was the opposite. Almost there was almost too much mm. and too much in the pipeline, which was really good. You might get a phone call out of the blue, Stephen, to say such and such has happened. I need a feature by like tomorrow yeah. on whatever and you're yeah. going. Okay, that's that's physically almost impossible. But somehow when I look back now, I never missed a deadline. I never said I didn't yeah. have it written yeah. written and ready. Um, but it was it was stressful. Um, and, and, and the thing that always frustrated me was you could put your heart and soul into something and get somebody to open up to you, mm. write the piece. But the, the news cycle is so ravenous that the story comes and goes like yeah, that. Yeah, and, yeah. Um, you know, rarely it's remembered. But I was lucky I had uh, one story got nominated for Sports Story of the Year, which was really good. Um, I, I, uh, I was having a pint one night with a good friend of mine up in um, Sligo. And uh, it was coming up to the anniversary, the 25th anniversary of Italia 90. And uh, he said, just wouldn't it be gas if somebody tracked down Daniel Tomofte, the guy who missed the penalty against Ireland? Yeah, or Paki Bonner saved it. It depends which way you look at it, isn't That's it? That's it, you yeah. said it, you said it. Um, so I went to bed that night thinking, I'm going to track him down. So I, I kind of uh, worked with the Romanian community in Ireland and we ended up getting a number for Tomofte. And I went over and I met him and I got him talking to Paki Bonner. They never actually talked ever. Like on the day itself, even they never they didn't exchange a single word. So I had on hands free. I had Packy and, and uh, Daniel Tomofte talking to each other. And were you with him at the time? I was with him in this hotel yeah. lobby. Yeah, Jeez, it was mad. Really, he looks nothing like the young slip of a man who missed the penalty. You know, he's a big guy now, and he's a lot older and all the rest. But it was the, the most amazing conversation where Packy was kind of apologising to Daniel Tomofte for saving the penalty because yeah. that when Daniel Tomofte went back to Romania. His uh, his family had to move house. There were threats on his life. There were threats to his 
you know, we don't we don't think about that. Yeah. 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 Well, it had come just after the fall of Ceausescu. So the Romanians thought they were going to win the World Cup. This was going to be their moment. And then he misses the penalty. The and poor guy. Of course, guy. they had and a superstar in Hadji at the time, who would have been the great player. Wasn't he came. My, he kind. Was he there in ninety? He probably was. He probably was actually. I remember him from ninety four more. Yeah, I think he was starting around that time. Yeah, and, uh, they were an emerging team, but yeah, yeah they were amazing. But yeah. but did Timofte realize how big it was back in Ireland? Like, did he realize the impact that made on the country? Because the whole place came to a standstill. I don't. I don't think so. Probably. He did say to Paki Bonner, they made you president, you know, or something like that, joking. Yeah. Uh, but I, I don't think he properly realized, you know, I'd say it's something he's tried to put out of his head. The poor guy, he missed the penalty. You know, his family got a, an awful time of it. He uh, struggled himself and then he got himself back to fitness, got himself back on the Romanian team. Mm. Uh, he was named in the squad for the 94 World Cup where Romania did so well. Yeah. They reached a semi-final. I or think a, so, yeah, yeah. yeah. And right before they left from Bucharest, like literally the week they were leaving for the States, he got injured. Oh, God, yeah. So his, the poor guy he just wasn't to be, you know. And what was he doing by the time you met him? He was kind of working with a club here and there, yeah. a bit here, a yeah. bit there, nothing terribly solid. Um, it was sad, really. You know, you, he, he, he didn't look like the healthiest of guys, I suppose, yeah. as I said, quite big and uh, bigger than he should be I suppose um, he had problems with knees and stuff and yeah I mean very nice man and the contrast between him and Paki Bonner who would have yeah. gone on to work for the FEI technical director and all of that type of stuff it's amazing one moment can change people's lives and and it's interesting you know a lot of the work I do now is about looking at things through a different lens yeah not the lens we're so used to so we looked at that through the lens of Paki Bonner and Dave O'Leary and getting moving on to the game against Italy whereas the other side of it was, was very different. Who deals with the devastation as people, yeah, get kicked out and so on. There was funny thing. So he said, Cascarino went up to take the penalty before him and he said he kicked a divot. And, and I, actually, if you look back, you do see Cascarino yeah. taking yeah. half the pitch with him. And he said that kind of put him off. He used to take penalties to the right. Of, uh, no, he used to take penalties down the middle a lot. Yeah. Back then, I suppose you'd never see a clip of a fella, so you'd just, no, you know, you yeah. yeah. Whereas one of his uh, more senior teammates who'd taken a penalty said to him as he was going up, go to the keeper's right. And that's what he did. And Paki Bonner read it. Yeah. yeah. How different it could have all been. Yeah. It must be great though to meet people like that. I mean, I mean, look, I'm delighted to meet the likes of yourself and so many other guests on, on this podcast and to get their backstories. But, you know, to go to someone's home land and, and talk to them about their experience it must be magical in many ways yeah I mean it, it can be and people are great for opening up to you the proudest interview I ever did looking back was with a woman with motor neuron disease called Emily who was living in um, Kinsale at the time yeah. and she passed away maybe uh, maybe a year after the interview and she was a young mother of two and her kids were there and she she was using uh, I laser technology to kind of respond yeah. uh, and I had sent her the questions by email that I wanted to ask in advance and I was purposefully uh, I, you know the questions were probably hard to answer for her uh, but it resulted in like a really strong piece but I just remember leaving I remember leaving our house that day she had this blue door I remember and uh, everybody being in and out the blue door, the neighbours, and it was lovely. Everybody was so good. Uh, but I remember leaving our house that day, bawling, you know, 
but she was great because she wanted to tell the story of somebody in her position yeah um, and that's important because uh, there's it's a privilege be so many to be more able people to. afterwards oh, totally. that will go through it totally but, yeah. yeah and I think that's it like the privilege of even what we're doing now the yeah. privilege of, of conversing and having a platform on which to yeah. tell a story yeah. whether, whether it's something practical or, or else yeah. or, or otherwise I think is very important and did you know speaking of platforms and you know we're you know we're on a podcast now did you see that with journalism over the years the way you approached it did it change with 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 the multimedia available? Like, did you start doing more things with video stuff like that over the years as well? Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't be, <laughs> I wouldn't be very tech yeah, savvy. Yeah. Um. But um. Ah. Yeah. I mean, anytime you could record, you know, video. Like I, even with the sanctuary runners now, I drive people crazy half the time because I think it's so important to get the cameras out, take pictures, and yeah. show people tell the story. Visibility is key. So, yeah, if you were doing a story and you felt that a picture could add to it, yeah, 100%. And and when I used to write features, you always have to be careful with photographers because they don't like to be, they don't like to be told what to do, yeah. understandably yeah. so. Uh, but sometimes you would kind of try to lead if you thought, I know in my head what I'm going to write. If you take that picture, it'll go so well with the story kind of thing. Um, so, yeah, always thinking ahead and thinking about how does the whole package end up looking for the person mm. who sees it. And were you worried that print was was struggling as time moved on as well and time, and it was time to take maybe a shift in a different direction you know is it a trade that's that's a difficult trade to be in it's ravenous as i said and if something is ravenous it doesn't often give time and opportunity often to make the right calls you know you're making calls for the wrong reasons i think as newsrooms and editors it's about consumption rather than quality often it can be about sensationalism rather than what is in the public interest, stuff like that. That's where I'd be, you know, because print was under so much pressure. Does that mean, does that mean that print has to bend to sensationalism and over the yeah, top stuff? Yeah. And, uh, and not give things time to develop a uh, good story, which, which in the past would have always, people would have given so much time to it. Yeah. No, it's fast. It's because editors are under pressure, I'd imagine. Yeah. And there's loads of uh, analysis and opinion and, I kind of want to know the news if I pick up a newspaper. Yeah. I don't want to, I don't necessarily want to know the, you know, the opinion of everybody whilst you respect it. Uh, you yeah. know, and I say that as somebody who occasionally writes opinion pieces, but, you know, that's, that's the fear that it's, it's not a newspaper. It's, uh, it becomes something different. It becomes a particular viewpoint. You see it in the UK, uh, where the paper that you read says so much about you. Uh, I prefer yeah. just to get the news and make my own mind up. Yeah. Yeah. So when did the media career come to a kind of a close like when, when was that it wasn't supposed to come to a close really you know the sanctuary runner idea led to the end of the uh, of the media career put it that way okay so, so I, one, did one develop out of the other yeah 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 totally I used to uh, do a lot of work in sub-Saharan Africa Northern Africa Western Africa also um, the Balkans and moving across on different stories at different times for different um, entities right Um I went on a few trips with Simon Cumber funding yeah, um, and would have reported from refugee camps and so on. And it was after one of those I was coming back. Like you'd, you'd go to a place, you'd put your heart and soul into a piece. You'd, you'd learn so much. You'd try to capture it. You'd come back and it would, be, it would appear in the paper or on the radio or whatever. And sure, it'd be, it'd be yesterday's news very quickly, unfortunately. So um, then you you feel, am I making the impact I really want to make or am I just filling paper? And uh, anyway, I came back from a particular trip to, I think it was 
Iswatini, where we were doing work on um, uh, the HIV and TB um, situation there, which is the, the, the most grave in the world. And um, I signed up to I, midlife crisis kind of stuff. I said, geez, I better lose a bit of weight and I better run or something because I'm okay. used to everything else. Yeah. So I and I'm not very good at running either. So I, I signed up for a 10 mile uh, race in Dungarvan in Waterford. Uh, and anyway, uh, I remember it was a freezing cold morning. This was in my head. I was thinking, OK, when I come back, you know, and I tell the story, it comes and goes. It's like there's a real disconnect between the wider Irish community, mm. maybe, and those who've come from elsewhere or, or or whatever. This was in my head and I was running along and I looked around and I thought, Jesus, running could be a handy bridge, actually, to bring people together. Yeah. Because whether you're from, you know, um, Ballyvalan or Timbuktu or Perth or Kerry or San Francisco, it's all about putting one foot in front of the other. There isn't really a different style. And there's no running. cost either really involved yeah. in, in starting, yeah. you know, starting yeah, totally. running totally. or your trainers or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Totally. And those who kind of run generally, uh, you know, often would be a decent lot, you know, that have a sense of social justice and maybe a connection with the environment because they're out running and blah, blah, blah. So I thought, you know, we could get a team in the Cork City Marathon, a team made up of Irish people and people living in direct provision. And that'd be great. Let's just do it once. I was up to my eyeballs with work with four young kids and I thought that's enough. Uh, that'll be great. Uh, we'll do it and see how we go. So we got more people than we thought. I think we, yeah, we had 200 people in the first marathon on our Sanctuary Runners team, all wearing the same blue tops. Um, and then that finished and people said, right, uh, are we meeting next week or uh, I'm just down from Galway. Can I set it up up there or I'm in Dublin. Is it OK if I set up a group there? And suddenly we realised, OK, this is going to be a bigger thing than I than I thought. So, yeah, it took off from there, Stephen, and, and grew and grew and grew. And as it grew, the poor old journalism uh, took a back seat and eventually... You didn't have time for it. There wasn't time. Yeah, yeah. And like... You know, so your connection did had you already interviewed people in direct provision in Ireland? Like, did you have connections in? in yeah. I had interviewed people in direct provision, but I wouldn't say I had yeah. many connections. So when I look back at it now, I cringe because I used to go, "Oh, I got somebody in direct provision to speak to me for a feature." Yeah, and now I have about five hundred, a thousand, two thousand people in direct provision now or before. Yeah, who would be texting each other back and forth to beat the band. You know what I mean? Yeah, and yeah. I realised I thought I knew the score. I sure I hadn't a clue. Yeah. And that's that's intri- That's really, you know, something that I think is uh, it's so important that journalists now go the extra yard, realise that it's possible to do so much more. Um, and maybe they don't sometimes because they think there's this invisible blockage between them and speaking to people respectfully uh, in different situations, including in international protection. Like in those stories that you did in Africa and stuff, would you be frustrated when you come back and realise that it only takes up a small piece of the media when you come home? Yeah, now maybe, maybe they weren't, maybe I didn't write them really well. I don't know. I thought they were pretty good. But uh, yeah, I mean, you see, I, and I see some journalists actually in Ireland at the moment yeah. who I who I'd know personally or, or follow who do great stuff. But they're, they, but you wouldn't necessarily, they, they're not the ones people talk about. Yeah. There's one particular woman with uh, Drive Time uh, uh, still. I don't know. She's actually probably gone from Drive Time now on Radio 1 and she does brilliant pieces. She asks the right questions. It's really clever. But it doesn't, you know, it's kind of shoved in at the end of a, a program rather than being something that 
actually is really good you know it's kind of like the soft little piece at the end of a show or something yeah 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 yeah. and is that because people are preoccupied with local issues and they don't think of the bigger picture is that media are always thinking about the closest to home first before they think about everything else there's there's a few ways of answering that i suppose you know there's this thing well you have to give people what they want yeah so when you say people if we take ireland today yeah Approaching something like 15% of the population may be born outside of Ireland. Yes. So those 15% probably aren't considered when that's people true. are sitting down to, to, you know, to design their, their, their program. Um, and that's probably because it's not out of any kind of conscious bias, but it's because the huge majority of people in our media in Ireland uh, would be white, middle yeah. class yeah. <laughs> people. And, it, you know, and so you don't know what you don't know. You're, you're yeah. not missing the fact yeah. that you aren't catering for everybody because everybody around you is the same and nobody's selling you yeah. anything different. Um that's one of that's 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 something that irks me, I suppose, now as I see it from from a, a different angle. And that's probably why world affairs and so on take second seat, uh, take a back seat to other things that are going on. But it's very short sighted. And um, we sometimes forget that we are a relatively small country out in the Atlantic Ocean. Yeah. Um, it's only recently, I think, maybe RTE or maybe the Irish Times have 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 again uh, appointed somebody as like an Africa correspondent or whatever. It doesn't happen, you know. Years ago it did, but but, uh, of course that's what we should be doing, you know. When on the flip side of that you see so much coverage given to the US. Yeah, you know, yeah. And maybe there's probably more people from other countries than, than the US living in Ireland, but yeah, I, I would I would think you can do more than one. I, you know, the US is vital in so yeah. many ways for us. Uh, but it does shape a narrative, doesn't it? it you does, know, yeah. yeah. Uh, and and it undoubtedly um, the 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 good parts of what happens in the US can have a really positive effect on us here, and the bad parts can have a really negative. So you said it came to the stage where you know the events were getting bigger and bigger for the sanctuary runners. When was the decision to say oh, I'm, I'm going to go full time at this? I think there wasn't really a decision. I think it just kind of happened. You know, it was getting so big, you could, it was, there was a tipping point where you needed to get funding, for mm-hmm. example, Stephen, because it was taking up too much of your time. Yeah. And if, if you were spending too much of your time, you weren't earning. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, and then once there was funding, you know, we said, okay, well, I'll, I'll work on that and I'll, I'll take some payment for, you know, for that uh, or others will. Um, and then bit by bit, you realise it was taking over more and more. And and because it took off, people were saying, look, we'll work with you. And uh, so you had to eventually give almost all my time to it. So I do. I, so the Sanctuary Runners is one thing I do. But I also work with uh, a philanthropic trust in North Cork called the Tomar Trust. Yeah. They're one of the supporters of the Sanctuary Runners as well. But through that, I would have set up community singing groups. And yeah. we've, we've set up a new organization recently called One Town, One Voice um so it's it's been really busy yeah and then during covid <laughs> my wife's a gp we set up a company called translate ireland which produces multilingual video messaging yeah. for those who speak english as a second language in ireland the reason we started was cuz in covid people weren't getting messaging in any language other than english or irish yeah. and at a time when everybody was so interconnected it was vital yeah. that everybody was getting the yeah. right information and then we, we started with COVID, but subsequently we've, we've done stuff on primary care, on uh, maternity care and so on. Um, and uh, it's um, 
healthcare workers from other countries living and working in Ireland who present the video messages because communication is only yeah. partly verbal. It's, yeah, of course. It's so much about yeah. your hands and your face and all the rest. So, yeah, so they're all kind of interconnected in some way, mm. but um, a constant troll of them in terms of, I suppose, ensuring there's awareness of them and that they're successful is the visibility. Yeah. Is creating a, a, a brand for each. Yeah. So, you know, uh, there's some basic consistencies between the three in terms of logos and things like that and the repetition of the messaging that you're what you're trying to achieve um, and also stuff like putting yourself forward for awards things like mm-hmm. that to ensure you get the visibility but no it's been crazy busy almost too busy but uh, very rewarding like I presume it's not running every day you know like uh, like how does that work like what, what what's, what's a day to day business for you what's a day in the life of Graham you know yeah. Well, it's kind of emerged because we took on some staff last year. Okay. Our, our New Ireland lead, uh, I keep calling her new, but she's probably been in, in position now over six months, is uh, a woman called Ailish McSweeney. And Ailish was a sprinter. She's from Carrick Tool oh. originally. Yeah, uh, yeah, and yeah. she's a, she was a sprinter for Ireland. She, she uh, held the 100 metre record there before Rashid Adeleke broke, broke it recently. And uh, Ailish is our New Ireland lead and we have some other people working as well. So that took some of the pressure off me. Um, I was my days before that would vary from going looking for a pair of runners in a particular size to doing a radio interview to speaking to a funder to it was manic it was daft but that's it you know as you build and and you you, you have a firmer a firmer financial base you can take on the staff to allow me to to go and and dream I suppose you know I, I always want to make the Sanctuary Runners an international initiative not just a national one but to do that, you need space and time. So on a day-to-day basis, there's more office stuff now than I would like, Stephen. Yeah, my yeah. my strongest, I think my strongest um, suit or my strongest ability, whatever, is is connecting with people, whether that's people in direct provision yeah. or um, or funders or politicians or whatever, whatever you need to do, you know, to make it work. Um, but a lot of my time is sorting out things and um, looking at how we set up new groups looking at marketing strategies, looking down the line of particular events and how we use them to reach more people. Yeah. Um, yeah. All that kind of stuff. And when you talk about events, I presume you're talking about mini marathons, marathons, that type of stuff, or cross-country races or something. Exactly, exactly. Because a great great thing. So, so we would run on a regular basis uh, every Saturday, park runs kind of thing in yeah. over 30 locations across the country and we'll be in 50 by the end of the year. Uh, but also stuff like the Cork City Marathon like during Covid we had 17 over 1700 people in 30 something countries taking part virtually in the Cork City Marathon as sanctuary runners last year we had 450 people actually in the city here uh, running in that event and then we had a big party on Princess Street afterwards and music and food from Is Cafe and everything And, and so those events are great for bringing everybody together that positive energy you know that that you want flowing through the organization by having an event that really brings that together. But also by doing stuff in the general public, you know, you're, you're not just running off in some park on your own, patting yourself yeah. on the back. Yeah. People need to see what you're doing. In terms of the makeup of that 400, then is it 50-50 between people that, I suppose, have local origins and 50 from that came in from somewhere else and are, have found Cork their new home or Ireland their new home or... 
Yeah, probably, probably I would say more like um, if I we had about ninety Ukrainian people involved, oh, wow. so that yeah. was new. Yeah. Then we had guys from the different direct provision centres around Cork City and County. We also had, and what I love, and what we're trying to do now is very much broaden out the sanctuary runners. So it doesn't matter why you came to Ireland; you could have married an Irish person, yes. or you, or you could have come to, yeah. to direct provision. It doesn't matter, and everything in between. Uh, inviting everybody to this one kind of family that's sound and decent and good crack. Um, so we had a lot of people from out of Germany and Spain, Colombia, Australia, Mexico, you know, all countries across the world yeah, yeah. Uh, that had nothing to do with direct provision yeah, whatsoever yeah. Um, involved as well. And you've, you've everything from the person who's come from, you know, Burkina Faso and is in direct provision to, you know, a dairy farmer in Mallow on the one team running together, you know. So yeah. so the way we would have done it in the past in Cork, there was a, a relay team. So on the relay team, you might have four Irish people and somebody from direct provision. Okay. And then they'd set up their own WhatsApp. So by the time they get to race day, they've met, they've trained together, they know each other. It's lovely, you know. That is nice. You can bring in different people, different backgrounds, different culture. Yeah. You know, um, I see that myself as a, as a lecturer, you know, I... I teach people from all different backgrounds and it's lovely when they come together and you can see they're bringing their own knowledge, their own surroundings, their own backgrounds yeah. to the table Yeah, and they come up with different ideas and different aspects of creativity and so on. And, totally. and my guess is that you're trying to possibly break the stigma around direct provision and so on because there was that kind of them and us type of thing happening, was it? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's almost taking out all the stuff that people stumble over. Like yeah. people stumble over the word racism. They stumble over the the word immigrant. You know, most people couldn't tell you the difference between an asylum seeker and a refugee. They yeah. stumble over race. They stumble over religion, culture, blah, blah, blah. With this, you say, we're going running. Yeah. That's this is the doing. one thing that we we're starting come. here. We're ending there. Yeah. Everything that happens in between, whether it's a shared silence, which can be very powerful, or you're talking about should Ronaldo have left United, it doesn't really matter. Yeah. Then you get to the end, you realize everybody's the same. Hey, presto, you know, it is. There's no great secret to community integration. And does everyone go with the brand on them, like sanctuary runners? Do they go as a, or do they just wear their own clothing? Well, how does it work? It, it's it's stronger if they do because yeah. you want to show that you're all like we say when you pull on the sanctuary runner top. Your legal status disappears anyway, as it should, but it disappears whether you're a migrant or asylum seeker, refugee, resident, citizen. It doesn't matter. You're Stephen, you're Graham. Yeah. Leave the blue top yeah. on. We're all equal. We're all yeah. the same. Nobody's superior or inferior to anybody else. And there's no charity, you know, because once you introduce that element of of charity, you, you, you create a two-tier kind of yes. thing. Yeah. So you're not saying, you poor thing. You're saying, yeah. we're running together as equals. That's it. And if I'm struggling, will you give me a hand? And Vice versa, you know, that's the thinking anyway. And and I think like often you'll meet people and they'll say, I wouldn't know what to say to a Muslim mother of three from Somalia mm. who had little English. Yeah. And you're kind of saying, well, you don't have to say anything really, do you? Yeah. Just show up, run. You, what you'll have to say will come naturally. It sounds, you know, almost hard to believe from the Graham of before I started this, but I would I would forget sometimes that somebody was in direct provision. Yeah. I'd have to remind myself that, all right, I'll give you a spin back afterwards. I forgot, you know. Yeah. And it's the person that you see, not the temporary legal status. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I know you're non non for profit, so you don't charge anybody for running any of the races, I presume. No. Or... So, no. So we'll say with uh, stuff like the park run, there's no charge for that yeah. anyway. So everybody shows up and they run. That's yeah. it. 
we never charge anybody for the blue running tops uh, or anything like that. Uh, for events, then we'd get on to um, the organizer of the event, and we might say, "Listen, we've, we're the sanctuary runners. We've a few guys from from direct provision who'd like to take part. Is there any way that you could help us with the entries?" And, yeah. and races generally say, "We'll give you twenty waived entries, uh, which the lads can use." But part of that is we say, "Okay," and our Irish sanctuary runners or those who aren't in direct provision yeah. will just enter as normal. They'll pay as normal. Yeah. So the race benefits. Yeah. That way. Yeah. And that works really well. I mean, I don't, I can't really remember a race that hasn't helped us out uh, over the last few years, you know. The year before COVID, we took part in 40 running events across the country. So they're not park runs, you know, yeah. half marathons, marathons, 10Ks, 5Ks, 10 milers. Um, and this year, you know, we'll, we'll, as we get back, it'll be about 40 runs again this year that we're taking part in, as well as the weekly stuff. And are you involved in, in anything then to do with juvenile sections or, or or is it just adults it's just adults yeah but you know if a mom or dad wants to bring their child along that's yeah. fine yeah um one of the reasons i wanted it mainly to be adults um stephen is i kind of wanted to create something that gave people a break yeah. some people 24 7 are looking after kids yeah. so yeah. uh in my head i was thinking about a mom in direct provision who um, needed an hour for herself and her head? Yeah, and and uh, if you made it all about you, if you made it everybody, everybody would come, and that's fine. But I kind of like the idea of giving mom an hour for herself, for her head, for her body. You know, just an, an hour away. Yeah, to look after herself, and we'll run, and then afterwards we generally have a cup of tea or coffee and a bit of a chat, yeah. and friendships build, and um, and it's it's just very organic and, and non forced, really. So you're trying to give an alternative to your typical, I suppose, athletics club, which are different. You know, they're trying to be, I'd imagine, very competitive where you're not. Exactly. Now, uh, what has happened here in Cork in particular uh, is that the likes of Toker AC will say, lads, if you've anybody that wants to run more regularly during the week or whatever, or fancies getting into running more, just send them down to us okay. and that's happened you know yeah that's so great. like a feeder feeder organisation a feeder exactly maybe someone didn't even realise they had the talent that's right uh, you know we're, we're home farm Everton to Everton Football Club yes. or something yeah. like that yeah, yeah exactly yeah. yeah like there was one fella there's one fella Abbas in Galway he never ran uh, Abbas is from South Sudan and he never ran before really competitively or anything and he came running with us and now he's representing his club in Clare Galway at national um, yeah. events, like just mad. And everybody, they all love him and he's really popular. He's a lovely guy. He's, he's, he's terribly sweet and terribly sound. Um, but he got into it through us, you know, yeah. which is lovely. Do you ever stand back then you're at one of the events and stand back and kind of look at look at the crowd and they're all talking and feel like, yeah, you know, this is this is a great moment. Kind of, like, do you get those type of or do you even get a chance to do that? I'm bad at doing that. Yeah. Um, I don't, I'm always thinking of the next thing and, yeah. and how can this lead to something bigger and better? Yeah. Uh, no, and I don't think it's a good uh, thing not to be able to take in what's going on uh, because emotional connection is very important. Sometimes I'll break down and, yeah. uh, but, I, but, but very rarely and, and there's normally nobody around if that happens. Uh, it's difficult at the moment actually with everything going on. But uh, generally, no, I... Uh, it's become quite the norm now, you yeah. know, if you're working at something for five years and you see it working, because I see it working in the in the singing groups we do as well. I mean, that's been just brilliant as well. 
at getting people together, working on something together, not even realizing that community integration is happening, but it's happening, you know. And I see you're doing more with swimming as well, yeah. Well, Swim Ireland came to us and they said, lads, is there anything we could do to uh, to kind of replicate that kind of work with the sanctuary runners mm. in terms of swimming? Um, I said only if it's open open sea swimming. Yeah. Uh, because I kind of feel like there's an entire experience with open sea swimming. Um, going to a pool is is going to a pool. And I don't know if it's, it wouldn't be half as strong. So, yeah, we did a pilot program in Fountainstown and Myrtleville during the summer. And yeah. it was amazing. It was brilliant. It was just yeah. better than I could ever have imagined it would be. And everybody loved it. So now we're going to uh, set up half a dozen uh, or work in at half a dozen locations this year and build similar groups. Um, but one of the important things was from, again, a, a kind of building a brand awareness and all yeah, of that yeah. was I only agreed to do it if for the pilot program, uh, the Swim Ireland would help us to get a um, a documentary maker along and tell the story. Brilliant. And I suppose that's using my background as a, a journalist, mm. you know. When I worked for the Business Post in particular, the Business Post's work was kind of a handy add-on. I used to do a lot of like advertorial stuff just you know which was grand yeah i, I mean it, it was it was sometimes it wasn't groundbreaking but you learn so much and one thing that kept coming up was you do an amazing interview with a really good company or a really innovative company who had a great story to tell yeah they tell you the story you'd capture it and then you'd say okay listen could you send me on one or two really strong images that you have there and they'd go all right, um, we have some pictures from 2000 and you're kind of going, yeah. so you've got all this going on and you don't have a way of telling that story? That's that's criminal. Nobody's like, documenting it in yeah, any way. Yeah. And that's key, like, really, isn't it? It's it's half the battle. If you it? want more people involved in the long term, yeah. you kind of have to tell people about it, make people aware. Yeah, and there's ways of, there's ways of doing that as well. You know, um, silly things like... Um, I'm allergic to those kind of county council photos of everybody standing in a line. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean? So, yeah. uh, and I learned off when we set up uh, Sanctuary Runners, um, a, a wonderful photographer based here in court, Claire Kyo, was instrumental in that and helping. And she used to get us to do stuff like for pictures, jump yeah. or just run at me, you know, run yeah. at the camera or she'd go up on a tree. And and it, those kind of things are very important to, um, and to continue to continuously kind of pass on to others the need to mix it up and to be adventurous and be artistic and so on. And are you seeing that as well? Different people that want to help with different skill sets come in. So you mentioned Claire there. I see you're wearing Jim Plus Coffee. I presume, mm. the, I think that I see something that the guys got involved as well. Yeah, they. Uh, so uh, Jim Plus Coffee uh, came to us and, and they were always, the, the lads who set it up yeah. were, who were two Corkman and a Cork yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and they were uh, eager to kind of get involved. So yeah, we, we as a way of um, kind of, you know, fund, helping with funding, we, um, um, they, they produced um, hoodies for us. And yeah. so a portion of that uh, we would get of the sales. So, yeah, totally. I mean, you know, as you said, you have people from all different backgrounds. You have animators or yeah. you have um, um, people who work in business or people who yeah. work in HR and blah, blah. And they're all they're all really willing to yeah. give of their time as yeah. well, uh, which is great. Um, I think as a not-for-profit, not one of the big challenges sometimes is, um, you know, getting the professional expertise that you need. Yeah. Um, whereas with us, I suppose people are willing to to help 
and give a bit of advice. And it's crucial at, at different times, you know, like I'm strong on, the, I guess, on the marketing side of yeah. it and, and that kind of thing and telling the story. But, you know, everybody has weaknesses and blind spots as well. And I'm delighted that there's others who can help in, in, in that situation. Uh, and what's the hope for the future for it? Well, we want to grow it in Ireland so that we're in, uh, you know, we're everywhere. Yeah. Uh, um, undoubtedly with um, Ukrainian uh, people moving to Ireland because of the war, for example, there would be Ukrainian people in places now where in the past you wouldn't probably have had so many people mm. from another uh, background or country. So we're starting up groups in towns and communities where in the past we probably wouldn't have considered doing it. And it's yeah. going really well. Um, so more groups across the country, more events, more people involved. We're working with Sport Ireland and Athletics Ireland as well to just keep that growing. It's more important now than ever. But, you know, I've spoken at the UN on um, our model, the, the kind of with rather than for model yeah. uh, and the European Commission as well. Um, so um, we're really eager to establish groups in other parts of the world as well, because the concept, I mean, it's totally transferable. Yeah. And countries do have issues with immigration. They do have issues with integration. I really think the whole community integration area is the biggest blind spot um, in, in, the in the world in terms of this space. Um, and we're a really simple way to show how easily it can be done in a healthy, positive way yeah. that involves yeah. the public realm. And, and um, it's, very, it's very hard to knock something that's public, uh, that, yeah. that's positive. Yeah. You know, a, a wave of positivity yeah. can carry everybody with it. A wave of negativity and fear and hate can undoubtedly carry people with it as well. Um, and we, we see that all the time. So we want to be the opposite of that. In many ways, what I see you're doing for adults is what happens naturally with the kids. So when the kids go into our schools, they all just play in the yard and they have fun and yeah. everything else is kind of forgotten about, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. There's lots of studies that show around around six or seven things maybe to start changing a bit. And then by the time people get to teens, they're, they're kind of uh, mirroring the views uh, that they might see at home from parents and yeah. stuff. People always say to me, sure, it's grand. The children now are all in school together. That's That'll be fine. And you kind of go, have you seen the UK or the US yeah. or France? I often think like if you think about community integration, yeah. Sometimes the focus is, I mean, the focus being on the migrant is always silly because it needs to be on both. Yeah. Integration, the meaning of the word yeah. integration means both. Mm. So you, have, you both have to cross that bridge. There's no point in just one mm. asking one to do it. Um, and also we confuse integration with assimilation. Like we're delighted when we see a black kid playing the fiddle or, yeah. you know, yeah. a Muslim kid playing GAA. Well, yeah. that's, that's fine, but that's assimilation. That's, you know, and that's yeah. good too if that's what they want to do. But we just need to be much more mature in our understanding of all of this. Uh, but the reason that kids, uh, the kids get on without seeing any differences because they don't see the difference. Yeah. So what happens to us where yeah. we we become prejudiced based on on what you know society clearly is um, not very equal and not very fair and not very kind at some point and that affects us as we grow. Um, but it's it's not all doom and gloom. Like I think recognizing mm. that, challenging mm. yourself, saying I want to be better, saying I want to do something positive, you know, that's that's good too. You know, I know great people who say the daftest things when it yeah. comes to um, to race and to uh, different things. And you just have to, you know, you have to coax people, you have to bring people along. Like one of the great things with the Sanctuary Runners is we've had people come and run with, with us 
and they might have originally come because their partner or spouse was interested, but they themselves weren't quite sure what they felt about immigration or whatever. Then after a few weeks, I remember one particular case here in Cork where somebody came up to me and they said, I feel like an Egypt. I said, why? And they said, well, like I often would say to him, do you want one of the tops? And he'd say nine grand and he'd run. Yeah. And yeah. he said, when I was only coming first to bring herself, really, because she wanted to come to try out the Sanctuary Runners. Um, and I wasn't sure what I thought. Actually, I was. I was negative about uh, people in direct provision or whatever. And after the last few weeks now, your man over there sound. She's lovely. I met your man down for a coffee last week in town. And now I realize, you know, I don't know what I was afraid of. It was ridiculous. And then you kind of go, oh, Eureka. I mean, that's your absolute best case scenario where you're showing somebody that you don't have to be afraid or you don't have to, uh, you know, just believe what some fella tells you or something you read on Facebook. You know, people are people. If you respect people as people, the world would be a much better place. And if someone's listening to this and if they wanted to join the running or the singing or the swimming... (laughs) So they're a bit separate. The, the, so the running and the swimming are part of one family. Yeah. The singing is a different thing altogether. Okay. Again. So with the running um, and the swimming, uh, you'd go to sanctuaryrunners.ie yeah. and all the information is there and you can get on to us and we'd be delighted to hear from you. Uh, with the singing, we're setting up community singing groups in uh, uh, all over Cork in the coming months, uh, both in the county and in the city. Um, and we're dying to get people in the doors for that as well. And you don't have to be Pavarotti or anything like yeah. that. In fact, I I get people along and the, the, those who are leading the choirs, the musical people kind of say, listen, it would be useful if the people had a note in their head. But yeah. I kind of say to people, sure, come along and be grand. It's hard yeah. to do a bad ooh or ah yeah, or whatever, yeah, you know. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We finished the podcast, Graham, with three simple questions. The first one is, what tip would you give another business to build a brand. I'm thinking a non-profit maybe, someone that has an idea to do something good for the community like yourselves. I think just put communications and visibility at the front. Don't put it at the end. People yeah. always put the press release and the picture at the end. Yeah. Put it right at the front. Think about the importance of that, that, uh, uh, um, that getting the message out. Think about the news editor in the newspaper who's overworked is dying to get something good landed into their inbox provide them with a really good picture provide them with a really strong press release provide them with unique quotes if necessary do all the work for them and you'll be off to a flyer in terms of an individual then what tip would you give an individual who wants to maybe get into journalism and do some of the good work that you did over the years I think be sound to everybody you meet along the way and be very respectful of people because You know, when people say to you, you'd never know when you need that person or down the line, it's completely true. So you should be sound anyway. That's Mm. my belief. But look, even out of self-interest, always treat people with respect. Um, And, um, you know, it'll happen time and time again as you get older. You'll come across the same people who are a small island. And the last question I have is, with our show sponsor, Skillsbase, what skill do you think is essential for running an organisation like the Sanctuary Runners? Okay, I, I think whilst you need to have a vision, mm. you should always be able to question yourself in terms of are you doing it right? You should always create that space to analyse your performance, uh, not just plough on uh, regardless. Um, in the past, I think I probably ploughed on a bit, but I'm getting better at stepping back and going, all right, was that the right way to approach it? Yeah. Or should I have done it differently? Should I have listened a bit better? So I, I think just creating that space for 
self-awareness and for questioning how you're getting on. Not 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 beating yourself over the head for saying the wrong thing or doing the wrong thing once, but looking overall. Are you sticking to your vision? Um, and is the vision, uh, does it need to be ever so slightly tweaked to make sure you achieve what you want to achieve? Well, it looks from my end that the vision is, is really, really good. And um, it's been a fascinating conversation and it's going to be very interesting to see what happens and, and maybe... What other space Sanctuary goes into over the next couple of years? Thanks a million for coming in again, Graham. That time flew, Stephen. Thanks so much. That wraps up this week's podcast. Thanks again to our sponsor, Skillspace app, which is a solutions provider for companies looking for mobile-first engagement and blended learning tools. To find out more information on what they can do, visit skillsbase.ie. Don't forget to like and subscribe to the show and get in contact with us on all social platforms. I will be back again next week with a brand new episode.